0: are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress.
1: So today we're going to look at a very well-known story in Exodus, but we're going to look at it from a different perspective than I've ever heard it taught. Maybe you have heard it, I don't know, but I haven't. And so um, the Lord just kind of gave this to me, it was quite interesting actually when this first came about because I for whatever reason, I wasn't given a whole lot of notice that I'd be teaching tonight and so when usually that happens you know, you think, well, okay, I'm going to have to just reach back and pull something from years ago and refresh it because, you know, it's tough to get time with the lord and seek everything out and figure it out well you most of you know i listen to scripture on my way to work and so here i'm listening to scripture on my way to work the day after i found out about this and i'm just you know praying lord what what would you have me you know teach and such as this and started listening to this whole story in exodus And the things that I'm going to focus on, it was as if even, you know, I listened to it, so it's not a visual thing, but I'm listening to it. But I can tell you visually, I can probably describe it better. If I were looking at it visually, looking at the scripture visually, it's these certain portions of scripture that we're going to focus on, it was like they were just bolded, like just all of a sudden they raised off the page. And that's kind of how it was as I was listening. It's like, The point of the story that we normally listen to, I was listening to it, I heard it, but then these scriptures, it was like, boom, listen to this. Did you catch that? And so it was really kind of interesting. So before I start reading the scripture, I want you to think about everything you remember about Moses going to Pharaoh with the message from God, let my people go. So think for yourself, and I know this is very common. We all know this story. So, although this is a group and it's hard to question, and I won't question you through the whole thing, but I will question you because that's how I teach, okay? So, how did God get Moses' attention? Burning bush. And what was significant about the burning bush? It wasn't consumed by fire. Correct, that's how God got his attention. We know that. What were the questions, and you don't have to say it verbatim, okay? But what were the questions that Moses asked while resisting God's assignment? Why me? He basically sums it up pretty good. Yes. Okay. Um, any, anybody else? That's okay. You combined a couple of them there, but yes. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? What am I going to say when they, and now he's referring to the Hebrews, not Pharaoh. What am I going to say when the Hebrews ask me who sent me? And then the second part, and this was kind of a quick trick question because the other part that Sister Noeda mentioned isn't really a question. It was a statement. Oh Lord, I am not eloquent, but am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Okay, so you've Probably heard all of these taught many times, and how God can use anyone. He will equip them to do whatever He purposes for them to do. In Moses' case, God gave him signs to demonstrate that he had been called by God. He told Moses to tell the people that I am, sent me. And he gave Moses, Aaron, To act as his mouthpiece Now we're going to fast forward a bit In our minds To when Moses went before Pharaoh And now we'll start reading um, the scripture here Exodus 5 verses 1 through 8 And I'm reading the ESV Afterward Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh Thus says the the Lord, the God of Israel Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. And then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Now this is all pretty familiar stuff, right? You remember this. You likely remember many of the plagues and Pharaoh's reactions to the plagues. And you, of course, remember that God showed up big time in that final plague. And not only did Pharaoh let the Hebrews go, but the Egyptians showed them favor and gave them silver, gold, clothes, and every such thing that they required. Now, to set the stage before we start getting into those scriptures that kind of screamed out at me as I was listening, we're going to review a little bit on typology. A type is a person, event, or institution in the redemptive history of the Old Testament that prefigures a corresponding reality in the New Testament. So a type is a copy, a pattern, or a model that signifies an even greater reality. So when the events of Moses and Aaron going to Pharaoh and telling them that God says, let my people go, there are a whole lot of types, and I'm not going to do a study on types. But we will focus on two of them. Um, The first one. The children of Israel's bondage in Egypt is a type of bondage to sin. Bondage in sin. Okay? And Pharaoh is a type of Satan. Particularly in his resistance to let Israel go. Thank you. Both of these types teach us about the reality of the bondage of sin and that bondage in our own lives today and of Satan's resistance to letting us leave our sinful lives and live in faith and service to God. So consider also what Jesus called Satan in John 12, 31. It says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. So Jesus is referring to Pharaoh as the rule of this world. So with this background, we're going to look at Pharaoh's responses to Moses and Aaron when they went to him each time to again tell him, let my people go and to deliver or warn of the coming plagues. We're not going to go into detail on the plagues. We won't even review what Moses and Aaron said and did each time. We are going to focus on Pharaoh's responses. And we will then analyze these responses as the reaction of the world when someone announces that they have experienced salvation, that they've experienced baptism in Jesus' name, the gift of the Holy Ghost, or otherwise, have experienced a a closer a call to a closer relationship with God. You know, it's not just that salvation moment that the world starts looking at us. You know, a little strangely, um, but ev- even among ourselves, when some of us are called to a different level, they have a different experience. We some sometimes wonder because we've never experienced something like that. So we're going to look at Pharaoh's responses and then analyze those as the world's responses. So I'll cite to some specific scripture, but you can go back if you'd like and review the entire story in chapters 5 through 14 of Exodus. We'll start with Exodus 5 verses 7 through 8, and we already read this, but I'm going to reread it here. This is particularly Pharaoh talking, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, and he's talking to his taskmasters, his um, foreman at this point. You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. So this is Pharaoh's response to Moses and Aaron's first visit to him. Um, Moses and Aaron hadn't even threatened any plagues at this time. He merely said, Moses merely said, and I paraphrase here, we've had an encounter with God and you, world, Satan, you must let us go. So after first insulting God by saying, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? Pharaoh then thinks that obviously the people are pursuing God because they are bored. They don't have enough to do. So Pharaoh demands more of their time so they stay focused on the things that he wants them to do. Is that what happens sometimes in the world when we're trying to separate ourselves and we've had this new experience with the Lord and we're trying to get away from maybe some of our old sinful habits? And suddenly our friends that maybe hung out with us for one or two hours a week, maybe one or two hours a month or half a year, suddenly start coming around and they're inviting us to all kinds of things and we're getting invitations to parties, invitations to concerts, and, and you know, just suddenly they want to be around us all the time and, and really take up some of our time. These things aren't necessarily bad. But they keep pulling us away from doing the things that God has called us to do, such as spending time in his word, being consistent in church attendance, paying tithes and giving offerings. Why? Because these concerts and parties and everything cost a lot of money, and we're doing it more often now, or being invited anyway. They're also striving to keep us involved in our old sinful habits. Especially as new Christians, we aren't yet grounded in Christ and don't really recognize the world's and Satan's schemes to distract us from God's calling. We may even feel that staying close to these friends is really quite important because we'll be able to influence them to experience God, right? Isn't that what we want as new Christians? We want to go out and tell them all of our friends, and get them to come along. And so we think, well, okay, if we continue this, then maybe we'll influence them. We must be very careful with that, putting on the whole armor of God in order to withstand the wiles or the schemes of the devil, which is exactly what we're talking about here, is how does the Satan work? How does the world react, Satan working through it? This is the beginning, although distraction is a part of Satan's scheme throughout our Christian walk. But it is very much the beginning. It occurred even before the plagues were warned against or implemented in any way. So next, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and he prepared to show, now they're going to show, the power of God. In Exodus 7, verses 10 through 12... So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's, and I won't say go God, but Aaron's swallowed up their serpents. Okay? Okay? Or their staffs. Dropping down also to verses 20 and 22 of the same chapter, Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded, in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his serpents, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, but... The magicians of Egypt did the same by his secret arts, by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now remember, Pharaoh first responded with insult: Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Now Pharaoh and his magicians are mimicking. They are mimicking Moses and Aaron. They are basically saying and demonstrating... Anything you can do, I can do better. Right? This happened when Aaron's rod was turned into a serpent, when the water was turned into blood, and it happened again when the frogs arose from the river and went into the Egyptians' homes, beds, ovens, kneading troughs. Gross. But it happened at that time, too. The magicians did the same thing. They mimicked them. When we share with the world that we've experienced God in a new way, a deeper way, our family and friends who are not serving the Lord in the same way or the world tries to show us that life with them offers the same things as life in the church. We love each other. We support each other. Anything the church has to offer you, we can offer you as well, right? They're trying to do the same things as anything the church or God can offer. So they also insult and mimic us. Now I'm going to tell you this story. This is about somebody that I considered a good friend at the time. We've, it isn't because of this incident that we're not good friends now. Is that she's moved away. But, um, but at the time, I considered her a good friend. Uh, she and her family had took us under our wings when we first moved to Cincinnati. Um, they introduced us to their Nazarene church because we were Nazarene at the time. And they helped us transition from temporary housing over in the Mainville area to our home, our permanent home on Morris Road. Now, I'm going to tell this story, and ladies, I'm going to warn you, please do not be offended. But it's hard not to be, okay, but please do not be offended. She just didn't know better. <laughs> and she didn't know who she was talking to at the time either. But anyway, you'll understand that in a moment. So after not seeing this friend for some number of months, because we had changed to a different Nazarene church in the area, Mike and I ran into her. And after the preliminary greetings, then she says, Julie, did I see Trisha? which for those of you who don't know, Trisha's our daughter, did I see Trisha hanging out with a bunch of, Bunheads the other day? Yes. Now, Trisha was going to school at what was then called CCA, is now TCA, and my friend saw Trish and other peoples from her class at some outing. My friend did not know, did not necessarily want to know what experience trisha had had with god in fact if she had looked closely it had been probably very closely she would have seen that i was growing my hair out as well now trisha and i both started in for those of you who remember us i don't know how many of you remember us we started with hair to here okay so when she saw us, my hair may have been to here, okay? It wasn't very long. So she, it certainly wasn't in a bun. I could not have been called a bunhead at that time. At that time, <laughs> okay? But um, anyway, so again, because Trish and I had both received the gift of the Holy Spirit and had been called to that deeper relationship with God, Instead of pursuing that discussion, she, my friend, insulted and made fun of the bunheads. This mimicking, insulting, and trying to show us that the world can offer us everything the church can are a few of the first reactions of the world and schemes of Satan when we experience the Lord in a new way. The world doesn't really want to hear about it. And they choose to insult and mimic, all the while trying to demonstrate that they can offer the same benefits as the church. So jumping to Exodus 8.8, when Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So here, Pharaoh wanted relief from the frogs. So he, so he told Moses that the people could go and sacrifice. That's all. You can go and sacrifice. Don't change the way you live. Don't change the place you live. You can just sacrifice. That's all. He was now very uncomfortable but he's also, at this point, viewing these sacrifices merely as a religious observance. Okay, it's all right. If you want to be religious, be religious. Okay? Um, He didn't want to be around them when they made the sacrifices. He didn't want to see the way God impacted their lives. He just wanted relief from the discomfort and inconvenience the frogs caused. So he said they could go and make sacrifices. So somewhere along the way in our own lives, if we continue seeking God and walking with him in this new experience we've had, our friends and family that haven't had the same experience begin being a bit uncomfortable. So they begin distancing themselves a bit while still wanting us around, which is an odd thing, but, you know, that's what they're doing. They just think our new relationship with God is merely a religious observance. That's all. They let us go ahead and attend church on Sundays without giving us too much grief anymore. Okay, 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 go to church on Sundays, but don't get too involved. Sunday nights? Sunday mornings is really enough. We've got other things for you to do on Sunday nights, right? So Sunday attendance is fine, but then they, but hang, they expect us to hang out with them and do what they do for the rest of the week. Then they begin feeling better about themselves because they are letting us observe our religious obligations without being too impacted by those obligations. So eventually our friends and families that are not serving the Lord begin seeing the impact and power of God on our lives. They begin seeing that God does have more power than they and that the church has more to offer than they do. We see this in Exodus 8, verses 18 and 19. The magicians tried by their secrets are... Let me start again. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. But this occurred after, of course, Aaron had turned the dust into gnats and the magicians could not do the same thing. And so at this point, they're beginning to see the power of God. They're beginning to see that maybe there is a little bit more to this and we can't do these things. If we continue walking with God, seeking him more diligently, being faithful to church and Bible reading, our friends and family begin seeing that power of God in our lives in very undeniable ways they will begin seeing our lives as more than just a religious observance. They Realizing we need to live separately from the world, but still they're trying to hold on to us. They may even begin viewing our lives from a distance. So as Pharaoh saw more and more of God's hand, although the world, or although he would always change his mind, he would begin promising more and more freedom. So in Exodus 8, verses 25 and 28, Then Pharaoh called Moses Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. Verse 28, So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far. So this is after the plague of the flies. So then as Pharaoh watched from a distance, he noticed God's protection. In chapter 9 now, verse 7, And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. So this is through the death of the cattle and everything that was going on. But there was a line It did not cross into Goshen, did not cross into where the Hebrews were living. None of their livestock died. So Pharaoh had sent somebody to see this. So he's observing from a distance, but he still knows now, okay, wait a minute. There's protection here. Their God is protecting them. The same thing occurred after the plague of the boils. And then Pharaoh began recognizing his own sin, Really? Did you catch that? He began recognizing his own sin. Um, Verses 27 and 28. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong." Is this not what we want? Isn't this what we said we, want, we likely wanted when we received salvation and everything, and we want to go tell all of our friends, and we might even risk hanging out with them a bit more because we want to influence their lives? Well, what is it that really influenced the lives here? It was the consistent going back consistently with the same message, living the consistent life before them, and... Pharaoh and his people began seeing that they have sin in their lives and that God is righteous. That's exactly what we want to happen for our friends and our family. Then Pharaoh began tolerating what I will call a half-hearted service serving of God in chapter 10 Exodus chapter 10 verses 8 through 11. So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh and he said to them, "Go. "'Serve the Lord your God, but which ones are to go?' And Moses said, "'We will go with our young and our old. "'We will go with our sons and our daughters "'and with our flocks and herds, "'for we must hold a feast to the Lord.' "'But he said to them, "'The Lord be with you if I ever let you "'and your little ones go. "'Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. "'No, go the men among you and serve the Lord, "'for that is what you are asking.' And then they were driven from Pharaoh's presence. Why do I call this half-hearted? Because Pharaoh has seen the worshiping and serving God is more than a religious observance. He's recognizing that there's this worship that needs to to be done. But he sees it only as the heads of household, not the entire family. So, okay, half-hearted. Go ahead. We'll start tolerating. You know, well, okay, it's okay, friend, if you serve the Lord this little bit over here. Um, they, they still, our friends and family, still don't expect a complete change of lifestyle. They don't want us to be that new creation that God wants us to be um, and that he will make of us. Complete devotion to God seems to be, to be extraordinary Bit extreme in this world, in their view, right? They don't understand it. And so, okay, okay, this half heartedness is, is all right, but complete devotion is just a little extreme. And yet, they see in themselves more than just their sin and God's righteousness. They begin seeing their own need. For forgiveness. In Exodus 10, verse 17, then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So now Pharaoh sees that God needs to impact your entire family, your whole life, but let's read. Verse 24, then Pharaoh called Moses and said, go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. So now he's saying, okay, go ahead. Go worship your whole family. Go. But it really isn't necessary for this thing to impact your finances. Right? right? Even amongst ourselves, if we were honest, in our own lives. Isn't finances one of the last things we finally submit to with the Lord? Yeah, I can remember a conversation with my dad, probably shortly after I came to this church, and I didn't give him a lot. For those of you who don't know, my father and I weren't close. We were never, I wasn't raised by him. We were never in this same state. Um, I didn't even meet him until I was sixteen. So, but we were having this conversation on the telephone, and I was telling him, you know, I'm 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 going to this different church, and you know, I don't even remember what exactly I was telling him about it. But he was saying to me, "Well, Julie, you know, that's all right." But, you know, don't go to one of those that dictate how you live. And in that, as I was thinking today about it, in that I knew that that also meant, that didn't just mean how I dress, how I look, how I do my hair, whatever. It also meant what I did with my finances. Don't go to one of those church that dictates those things. And my father and I, like I said, weren't that close. I certainly didn't, and I wasn't prepared at that time to start teaching him about, you know, <laughs> the apostolic truth. I couldn't have done that at that time, but certainly just said, no, they're not dictating anything, and which is true. Our church does not dictate anything. So um, they teach us how to live holy lives. So then finally Pharaoh, the world, sees our need to serve the Lord in a whole hearted devotion. In Exodus 12, verses 31 and 32, then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from my, among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone. And bless me also. Okay? All right. Go. Go live that transformed life. He's seeing He's seeing whether he, his heart was not in it, but he's seeing, okay, yes, there needs to be a division here. Go. So what are we supposed to do with this? I know this hasn't been a really up and funny and laughing kind of a thing, but, and some of you are struggling. I can see you're struggling to hang in here with me. So what is the point of all this? What does it really matter? Well, first, by looking at how Pharaoh thought and responded when Moses told him that God had said, let my people go, we can see how the schemes of Satan and how people who do not know the Lord view other people's, our, encounters with the Lord. By understanding that, we can offer more grace to them Instead of being offended like we wanted to be when I said, you know, the bunheads, okay? Instead of being offended, but just show God's grace to them because we better understand where this is coming from and the wiles of the devil that's working through here. So I'm going to review very quickly because I know I'm running out of time and I don't want to keep you too late, but um, let's review real quickly how Pharaoh responded. As I do, think for yourself when you've experienced these types of responses to, to you when you were trying to live for the Lord. It may even be possible that you've responded in some of these ways because you didn't understand another person's walk or experience with the Lord. So first there was the insults, um, the insult what they know about a Christian life. They strive to distract us from the things God is calling us to do. They mimic us, trying to show that they can provide everything that we can get from the church. Then often our efforts to serve the Lord begin to cause our friends and family discomfort and inconvenience. They begin looking looking at it as a religious observance. They begin tolerating us going to church, but they don't see that we need to stop living the way we used to. They don't see a relationship with God but just a religious observance. As we grow in Christ and walk in our newfound freedom from sin, the world begins seeing that God does have more power than they do and will see the impact God has on our lives. They begin proclaiming that this change must be from God. They notice God's protection on our lives. They notice that transformation. That God is doing in our lives. And then others begin seeing their own sin. They begin seeing the righteousness of God. And eventually, if we stay true and we stay on a path of growing with God, growing in our relationship, growing in our expressions of holiness, um, they begin also to see their need for God's forgiveness. And then finally, our friends and family see our need to serve God wholeheartedly, allowing God to make a new creation out of us and to distance us from the sinful ways that we previously lived. And they give us that freedom to live accordingly. Or they've separated us from us from this point in time, which, though it might be painful for us, is good. That's what we were supposed to be separating from that sinful life anyway, and if they can't continue a relationship with us without dragging us into that sinful life, then that's okay. It's okay for them to go on and let us live our lives. So there's another way to apply this teaching to our lives. We can use it to analyze where we are in our walk with God. Are our friends insulting God's ways, insulting the church and mimicking it? If so, then maybe we are living a little too closely to the world still and have not separated it from our sinful ways. Have our friends ceased the insults, the mimicking and distraction, but they view Christian, our Christian walk as merely religious observance? Do we live in a way that demonstrates our relationship with God, not merely religious observance? If our friends can't see the difference between being religious and having a relationship with God, then we need to check ourselves and determine why our relationship with God isn't evident to them. Are our friends proclaiming that the changes in us are truly from God? Hallelujah, if they are. Hallelujah. Keep going you're making a difference. You're doing great. Don't get weary and begin looking back. This may lead to our friends and family seeing their own sin and the righteousness of God. And ultimately, you may see family and friends join you in your walk with God as they begin seeking forgiveness from God. Now, I must be cautious here. Although it is not God's will that any should perish, clearly, not all people come to salvation because they do have their own will, they can make their own decisions. Not all people will come to salvation. But as we grow in our walk with God, we will see others come to God as well. And then that glorious day when we are serving God wholeheartedly along with our friends who are now walking in relationship with God as well, when we can see the fruit from our walk with God as he gives the increase, I don't want to give any impression whatsoever that all these things happen because we do it right. No, it's because as we continue walking with God, He shines more and more through us. Colossians 1 9 through 12. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking what asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with God, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. And as I explain this, go ahead and stand as we're preparing to close this out. This is our goal. Our goal is to live with the knowledge of his will, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, and bearing fruit in every good work. Our study of Pharaoh's reactions to Moses and Aaron has shown us the ways of Satan and of the world, and it gives us a way to assess ourselves to determine if we need to be more focused on God and less distracted by the world. Remember that Satan will never give up. Even when we are mature in the Lord, Satan will raise people up to distract us, to insult us, and to try to draw us back into our sinful lives. Don't evaluate yourself by individuals or by isolated situations. Keep your eyes on God and look for the increase in fruit that he gives. Okay? Let's close in prayer. Precious Jesus, we thank you for this word. We just thank you that the power of your word, the truth of your word, this is a different kind of a lesson and it was probably difficult to sit through. But I pray that you will bring it back to the remembrance of all of us throughout the week that we can... Can study it can really focus on it and see how it applies to our lives. Take a look around us and see how our family and friends are treating us and how um, how impactful we are in their in their lives, Lord. Just help us to be doers of your word and not hearers only, Lord Jesus. Bless us. Give us rest from hearing your word and being in your presence, Lord Jesus. And give us a good week as we go forward and prepare to, to gather together again on Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church,